You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, where we invite a panel of experts each week to hear about their incredible journey and career paths. On today's show, we're chatting with Shaheen Lakani and Sheryar Hussein. Shaheen is a physician assistant and health and wellness coach who brings a fit and healthy lifestyle to patients, the community, and people like you and me. Meanwhile, Sheryar is a technology consultant who utilizes technology to make our environment safe, secure, and productive for us and our future generations to come. This week's show is brought to you by Hype Athletics. I'm Fatima Al-Sayed, your talk show host. Make sure to tune into the show every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section. Shaheen, assalamu alaikum. How are you today? Alaikum salam. I'm good. Thank you, Fatima. So you are a physician assistant. I hear that this job barely exists in Canada and it's all over the States. Can you tell us about a little bit more about what this is? Sure. Um, so physician assistants are classified, um, you know, we're healthcare providers. We can prescribe, evaluate, treat um, uh, medications, order tests, and um, do work in hospital settings as well as clinic settings. We have training um, along the medical model of um, the, like physician-based training. So essentially, our, in addition to there's, there's two options to go into, you can go into a straight program where you get your undergrad degree as well as your physician assistant degree all at once. And there are certain programs that offer that. Um, and then the other option is that you get your undergrad degree and just as if you would be applying to med school, instead, you apply to physician assistant school and um, there's an additional two years of training. Mm-hmm. The first year is essentially um, the two years of your med school consolidated into one, essentially, you're getting <laughs> the basics. <laughs> so um, needless to say, <laughs> it's um, very demanding. There's yeah. a lot of condensed learning um, and your life revolves around your books <laughs> and your study partners. <laughs> so, As would any, any, any like, job in the medical exactly, field, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, we, we're taught along the medical model, meaning that we're taught based upon um, disease systems, organ systems, and, you know, the same way that physicians get their training. Um, mm-hmm. We learn the pathophysiology, how the disease state works, and then from that, how to treat. Um, there's also a huge focus on um, education and wellness and preventative care. That's mm-hmm. actually one of the niche things that brought the physician assistant career, um, you know, it fulfilled the need that was there. Yeah. There, was, um, there was a lack of um, direct patient care in rural communities as well as um, within certain um, underserved communities. So mm-hmm. when this career came about, it was actually the Navy Corps men who were, who had like this really great clinical experience when they were doing field medicine um, out in the field, you know, in, in like mm-hmm. war battles and whatnot, when they came home, they couldn't practice anything. Yeah, there. So interesting. Yeah. And so what happened was there was actually a career that was created around that to add on to the training that they got on field experience mm-hmm. and then to kind of just really solidify um, and the qualify them to work in the yes. hospitals. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so then that's, that's how it came about. And so mm-hmm. within cosmopolitan communities, you have a lot of, you know, physicians, this is, you know, uh, this is quite a few decades ago. Um, and so, you know, as, as the need, as, you know, populations grew, people Mm -hmm. kind of started going out into different areas so that you still, you were able to get physician assistance to serve areas that weren't really, um, didn't have access to healthcare and they Mm -hmm. could do um, remote consultations with uh, a supervising physician. Like that's one of the, that's one of the things that I actually forgot to touch on. We're always (laughs) partnered with a supervising, um, like a consulting physician. Yeah. Um, so we're partnered with them. And uh, one physician can have multiple physician assistants working under them. So that so, makes it better for hospitals because they yeah, can have yeah. more people working. Yeah. For yeah. Absolutely. Less of an income? Um, you, so you can, um, it's, it's slightly less, yes. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you do, it's still a, a pretty decent income. Yeah. <laughs> So, so um, you know, in the sense that um, it, within our training, when we come out with our physician assistant um, mm-hmm. certification degree, we're actually earning um, 
a decent amount of money. I think uh, average across the board, if you put like across the US, it's about um, $70,000 US, but in certain areas, you will get more and certain subspecialties, you get mm -hmm. more. So you could come out starting it like- Depending on which route you take. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and so you're, you're coming out with, you know, this really condensed, really huge base of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, the second year that we within PA school, we put all of our like learned skills into practice. So that really cements everything because you know how med school students in their third and fourth year have to do their rotations mm -hmm. right alongside them are physician assistant students during their, their clinical year. And we go through rotations for six and eight weeks, depending upon your program and what specialty. And we're going through treating patients, learning, attending the same conferences, do it, taking the same tests after, afterwards, and mm -hmm. then um, doing, you know, patient-based care. So then we have to, while we're also, you know, doing the refreshers and everything, and then before we're allowed to practice, we have to pass our program as well as a national certifying exam. So okay. there's, there's, a, there's a lot of um, making sure that there's an accepted standard of practice. And mm -hmm. when you're, when you're practicing every program, you're, you're, you have a kind of a, a whole bodied um, sense of knowledge. It's not just specialized. You can choose to subspecialize, but when you certify, you can actually move within different subspecialties as well. So in my personal career, I've worked in clinic settings. I've worked in primary care, women's health, neurology and pain and management. And um, do you have that like freedom to move around and see what you do like? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I sub, I, I'm in a medical subspecialty, but I do general medicine as well. But I work in um, gastroenterology and digestive health disease. Okay. Yeah. So and you I sort of found your niche now. I did. I did. <laughs> because I kind of, as you're going through your career, you know, with every career, you kind of find your passion within it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm sure Brother Shahir, when he comes into it, didn't go into it saying that this is my niche that I want to kind of go yeah. through. So, so we all find our place. Um, yeah. But you can go in within, like, you can practice in surgery, you can do emergency medicine, where you only work certain shifts, you know, um, like, uh, you know, so it gives you a little bit of freedom. So as a as a woman who wanted to also have time to commit to a family and, you know, settle down, this was the route that best fit my life when mm -hmm. I was going through school, you know, because I couldn't foresee myself going to school for four years of med school, three years of residency, then mm -hmm. subspecialty, because for me, I did, you know, I felt um, that I wanted to also be there as my kids grew up and I wanted mm -hmm. to, because, you know, it, it was hard for me to, um, not have that one-on-one -on -one time and in that time of my life it actually fits better and I have to say that I don't regret any of the decisions alhamdulillah. <laughs> How did you find out about the career? Um, <laughs> quite by accident actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know I always um, had known growing up um, that I wanted to work in the field of medicine. It was something, you know, that they say that sometimes some people just know from early on. And mm -hmm. um, I was blessed that I knew I wanted to work in healthcare. I just had a, like, I have a very nurturing spirit, I think everybody says. Mm -hmm. But um, there was something within the, you know, knowing that you can help so many people and positively impact, but also, um, you know, I've seen people in our family, you know, get very, very sick and then come back. And, uh, you know, and, and I know through that, that base, you know, that connection that you have with, with the healthcare providers was just, it spoke to me so much that I knew mm -hmm. I, that was something that I wanted to do. So initially I'd always planned on going into med school because I didn't know about PA schools um, and the, the PA profession because it wasn't well, you know, kind of advertised and known. Um, you have to realize that I, I, uh, graduated from my program 19 years ago. <laughs> wow. And, um, and I'm a zero generation immigrant. So I emigrated into this country when I was in second grade. So I, I knew some of the basic careers and, you know, within the South Asian community, you're, you're going to be a doctor, an engineer <laughs> or something like that. And, um, you know, these, I'm glad that, that our scope has expanded and we see so many diverse careers opening up and opportunities but 20 years ago or more when I came here so it was like 30 some odd years ago you mm -hmm. didn't have that um, and you know we those were the things so as um, I was going through my pre-med career and did all the 
med school applications and the MCATs, alhamdulillah, did well. Um, little glitches happened within my, uh, within my credentialing and whatnot. And then one of our family friends, um, Marhum Dr. Shakir Muki, actually um, had met with me and said, have you ever thought about becoming a PA? And I then looked into it and researched it. And I said, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And I was already having the doubts of, do I want to commit you know, the next, um, put my family plans on hold for another seven years before you know, starting a family? And this kind of took that off the table for me. So mm -hmm. it, it opened that, that opportunity up and then I just ran with it. Is it a very competitive field to get into now? Oh my goodness, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I thought it was competitive when I applied. And yeah. And then I realized that uh, nowadays, as I'm, you know, allowing um, potential PA students to shadow me to get experience, um, I'm realizing how much more competitive because it's such an in-demand field. Um, when before it might have been that, you know, 10, 20 students were vying for one seat in a program and there were a few programs, you know, in each state, there are certain states that had more. Now you've got hundreds of people vying for wow. The program. Alhamdulillah, there are more programs and there are more mm -hmm. opportunities, but the rigorous, the requirements to get into them have also expanded. Like this, um, the pre-PA shadowing, um, that is a requirement for every single program didn't exist when I was, okay. when I was applying. So now potential. So it's, a, it's a huge field now. Yeah, it is. I mean, and we see that because we've now crossed borders. It was, mm -hmm. uh, as you touched on it, like it's very, yeah in Canada, but it was, it didn't even exist. Um, it wasn't a recognized um, profession pra of practice. I mean, they recognized that it was there in the U.S. and it, you know, gave, um, you know, a lot, it increased the scope of practice and allowed more people access mm -hmm. to, to much needed healthcare, but they didn't know whether it would work in their system and they mm -hmm. didn't have programs taught. So, um, I, there was, when I was in PA school, I had a student, a, a colleague of mine was from Canada and we were like, but PAs don't exist in Canada. She goes, yes, but I live in Montreal and I can drive across the border to Vermont. And so after that, <laughs> she drove across and she had set up a job where she worked across the border in Vermont. And I was oh, just so like, she could do that job because it didn't yeah. exist. But now, wow. uh, now she doesn't have to. Now she can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because for a few years now, um, American certified PAs can work in Canada as physician mm -hmm. assistants, as they can in the UK as well. It's now oh, nice. there's actually um, an association for physician assistants based in mm -hmm. the UK as well as in Canada, because the healthcare systems, especially with socialized medicine in Canada and the UK, realize that um, you need access and the mm -hmm. it's, it's primarily filling the niche of GPs, general practitioners, mm -hmm. fields, because we have that well-rounded base of all the different subspecialties so we can do that and then if there's you know further referrals and mm -hmm. whatnot that need to be made then you talk to the we have that base of knowledge. we also have that base of knowledge to know okay this this requires um surgery this requires mm -hmm. a cardiologist evaluation this mm -hmm. this is a stroke this is the next step so we can mm -hmm. really uh, we're really helpful in triaging and kind of knowing that um you know the, the route to take in that aspect because we have the, that 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 base where do do you work in like a private practice or hospitals where's the place that usually physician assistants go to any of those places okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah so i you can have um physician assistants in uh, urgent care settings in mm -hmm. rooms um within hospitals if you if you know you or any i, I don't know about you in canada but if <laughs> Has had, a listening has had um, a family member or you know God forbid has had to be hospitalized. They've probably come across a physician assistant at mm -hmm. some point um, because uh, it just allows um, you know kind of um, it, it. Not every hospital is a teaching hospital, so you don't always have residents. But even when you have residents, they can only cover certain things. So PAs are there; they're certified; they have the skill base. So they're mm -hmm. there in the hospital settings. They're there in the office and clinic settings, in the outpatient settings. They are there in the urgent care settings. They're also there in the research settings because mm -hmm. of their knowledge. So um, you know, you can have it throughout. I've personally worked within um, uh, standalone clinics. I've worked in intake shelters, um, homeless shelters. I've worked within um, the outpatient setting. And also now I'm a hospital-based 
um, clinician working for a private practice. <laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> so you can be employed by the hospital mm -hmm. in the hospital setting, or you can work for a private group as one of their um, regular representatives who takes care of their, you know, um, base of patients within a hospital setting. You mentioned a couple of routes of how you can get to this uh, mm -hmm. career. Which route did you take? So I had um, done in my undergraduate degree where mm -hmm. I had been a biology major. I had um, a minor in uh, chemistry and Near Eastern studies, um, and I graduated from NYU. Um, and then I went to a physician assistant program, which was a two-year mm -hmm. program. And then once I graduated from that and passed my certification, I joined the workforce. What's the most valuable experience you've had in the job that you could form a piece of advice for people from? Um, hands down, um, it's the preventative care aspect. It's the mm -hmm. um, taking those things and doing the well care visits and not waiting until you're sick and doing the preventative care. And mm -hmm. honestly, the counseling on that end that we're able to do because of um, knowing all the things that if we act on something beforehand, how much we can prevent all the, and in terms of like sick days saved, um, years saved off of people's lives and um, healthcare dollars that are saved. That's mm -hmm. been huge. Personally speaking, I've seen so many people from our South Asian community um, fall really ill and, you know, have complications from very preventable diseases, you know, complications of diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, having, you know, I, I've had one of my good friends um, suffered a massive heart attack and ended up ultimately needing a heart transplant and going through that entire route of it. And what, you know, if, if it had been caught early on because, you know, and, and now in hindsight, we've, we've spoken about this. He's actually, um, you know, becomes a big advocate for prevention mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, there's so much that can be saved and so, so many years that can be added on to your life to be, you know, active and vital and give back and have the time with friends, family, and the community. And mm -hmm. it's just about education. So that's, that's one of my goals. Um, that's actually one of the reasons that I became a health and wellness coach, because when yeah. I realized, when I put that into practice for myself, because I, um, I didn't always take care of myself. So I had uh, luckily not had health issues, but I knew the route that I was going down because mm -hmm. I saw my family going through it. And so when I implemented some of the things that I was asking my patients to do, it spoke volumes to me, to them, and, you know, like taking off like 70 pounds off my frame and, you know, increasing my cardiovascular activity, being able to be more like, I'm actually not just, I'm, I'm a, a, a guest today, but I'm also mm -hmm. an Umoja Academy um, participant and I play <laughs> the tournaments um, where, you know, at 44 years old, I never thought when I was 20 that I would be able to just because I didn't start off taking care of myself. But yeah. once, once you do, you see the, the benefits of it mm -hmm. and then it spreads that forward. So that's and it becomes a habit and just your lifestyle. Absolutely. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, alhamdulillah, it was probably when I had, it was definitely when I had my kids that I just, you know, I realized that I needed to do it and mm -hmm. so that I can pass that on and reap those, you know, reap the fruits in the future for them, <laughs> have them do that. So that's, that's definitely my biggest takeaway. And that's my, my biggest, um, like my goal. And that's one of my biggest blessings. So what, what is a health and wellness coach? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so a lot of what I do in my regular day-to-day -day practice, except mm -hmm. I realized that instead of prescribing pills, if I can start to implement um, healthier habits, the little things that you do. So implementing, you know, drinking more water, um, healthier recipes, um, mm -hmm. advice for better food choices, you know, um, you know, is bake instead of fry, those little things, that's yeah. what helped me. Um, when I get that into other people that I'm working with. So um, I actually do um, virtual one-to-one -one online coaching. Um, I uh, lead virtual um, fitness challenges. So I pair people up with workouts and exercise and, you know, kind of help them tailor their nutrition to help them reach their goals of having, mm -hmm. whether it's losing weight, whether it's just improving their cardiovascular health, just being more active, whatever their goals are, figuring that out and working with them on that. Um, that's what I do. And uh, it helps me stay on track 
quite honestly. <laughs> and then they, they find that they have more energy, their family realizes, and it, it's a ripple effect. It always, you mm -hmm. know, spreads outward and you pay it forward to the next person. And what other things has, have these, has this career helped you branch into? What other interest has it sparked? Well, I've always been very socially active within the community because mm -hmm. I grew up in, in our Jamaat and I um, just the, the local community where I live, but also the community where, you know, our spiritual community. So mm -hmm. um, I've done um, CPR and, and first aid trainings for the Jamaat. We've done health talks about like preventative care, healthcare maintenance. And uh, most recently I took up the post of vice president of our mosque. Um, oh, wow. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm the first female vice president of the New York Jamaat. Um, Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of one of our like in addition to working on um, some community-wide goals of you know mm -hmm. um, moving forward to kind of serve our community better uh, mm -hmm. in terms of you know spiritually and even uh, a new center inshallah coming soon um, but also to implement healthier changes so mm -hmm. um, we we had um, we had had a guest uh, speaker for our fundraising event, Brother Mahmoud Mauji from the UK. And one of the, th when he came for um, doing a seminar as well as being our keynote speaker for our, our um, fundraising event for the new center, I kind of talked him into doing a boot camp workout. Uh, <laughs> throw that in there, come on, we'll do it and I'll help you. And um, that spawned like a um, co-ed, you know, uh, workout, um, outdoor workout. And he was only here for that weekend. So then um, he raised up a challenge to our community to mm -hmm. continue and keep it forward. So I picked up the gauntlet and six weeks um, in a row, despite the cold weather and um, even on Thanksgiving, which we just celebrated on Thursday, I've mm -hmm. led boot camp workouts for our community. Um, <laughs> anybody and everybody's welcome to join. Kids are welcome, adults, doesn't matter whether you're um, advanced or a beginner. Um, we're also launching a Live Your Best Life um, lecture series. Um, mm -hmm. The first talk is going to be this coming Tuesday. So it's inspiring change by the little things we do in the community. Yeah. That's so inspiring. Um, what piece of advice do you have for students who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives and what career they want to get into? Find what you're passionate about. And if mm -hmm. it's healthcare, um, you know, go and ask somebody and, and ask them to, to follow, um, follow them for a day and see what it is that they do. Um, you know, volunteer and always want you know like that that being around like there was there was an ideal that I had like I always thought okay there, there might be this um you know maybe I wanted to go into dermatology well I gotta tell you I I did a day with a dermatologist and it wasn't the thing in fact I passed out um, <laughs> <laughs> was a close space she was burning skin it was not it was oh not my god fun. And I realized that that was not the thing for me. And mm -hmm. that kind of knowledge is gold because you know what you don't want, but yeah. you find your passion. And once you do that, you know, that fuels you. Like I, I sit down with patients and I sit, you know, eye to eye with them and I talk to them about, you know, how they can make the little changes and they're just like, mm -hmm. or I explain what's, because part of the thing is explaining to patients what's going on. They're in this foreign setting. They're, they're, you know, they're not familiar with hospitals. They don't know what's going on. They're feeling ill and just taking the time to explain, this is the test you're going for. This is what mm -hmm. explains this is something that you can expect the next step. You know, those little things and seeing that happen and seeing the patients just lose some of that fear from their eyes, mm -hmm. that fuels me every single day, you know, because that's, that's, that's what I went in it for. But when you're, when you're as a student, as a, you know, like wanting to go into a career, you need to see it because mm -hmm. what, what it's like on TV is not real life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's been the most rewarding experience with a patient you've had? Can you tell us a little story? Oh, um, so yeah, there was a, when I actually, when I first joined in and decided, you know, came on with this GI practice, I met this one patient, um, who was just about my age. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I work in GI. So sometimes I get very, very sick patients and she had a little baby and she had colon cancer. 
and she had, you know, a condition where she was prone to get, you know, these polyps and they were going to be cancerous. So she was in and out of the hospital many times. We took out many, many polyps. Unfortunately, I got to cultivate a friendship with her for about three years. Unfortunately, she did, you know, succumb to her illness, but the at the end, we, we would sit and we'd talk. When she was in palliative care, we would talk. Her family, um, we hugged. You know, we, we cried together when she passed. We did fundraisers together. Um, I got to see her son grow up. Um, the connections that you get because mm-hmm. you take the time to get to know them, it changes your life. <laughs> so... I think, I think, I think it's the connections. It's the human connection to everything. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, this show is one of like, I I love, I love the whole idea behind it because you get to hear the stories that you wouldn't, you know, otherwise. And Mm -hmm. and it's important knowing that, that putting that human emotion, the human Mm -hmm. factor into something and realizing that, um, you know, in, in deciding what you want to do, you can potentially impact so many different things, you know, and it doesn't always have any, like even in technology, you impact so much, you know, I know brother Sherry was going to touch on that, but like my husband's a techie. So I'm I'm fascinated by what he does. And, you know, he turns around, he goes, yeah, but I don't have that human connection. I said, it doesn't matter. It's whatever you do and whatever you're still creating that impact. Yeah. And whatever Mm -hmm. you feel passionate about, you feel it because I don't ever think that I'll stop. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, promoting wellness and healthcare. I don't, even if I, you know, were, I don't think I'll ever stop being a PA um, and, you know, working with patients because the, the satisfaction that you get, and maybe that's, you know, a little bit selfish on my part, but knowing that I can educate one person, that's, that's, that's everything to me. You're educating a lot of people right now. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, one more question. Mm -hmm. This might be something people are wondering. Would a physician's assistant be able to become a physician? Um, so directly from PA to, Mm -hmm. um, MD, um, no, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are, but there are programs where you're, so whenever you're applying to med school, you'd still have to apply to med school. You'd still have to go through the whole med school process. I have had one of my colleagues from PA school go on and um, decide to go the MD route. And her experience as a PA, her knowledge as a PA helped her immensely. Mm -hmm. Like she was definitely at an advantage, but you still have to go through the same additional because they don't, they're, they're not equivalent. But okay. because we're not, we're not the same as physicians, um, you know, though. So in that two year span of time where we're doing all that clinical work, we're condensing everything. Yes, we go through a lot, but in med school, you go through things in to grotesque detail. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm happy for it that I, I'm always working alongside a physician. I, I've, alhamdulillah, you know, proven my base of knowledge and improved my base of knowledge to mm-hmm. the point where my physicians um, that I work with feel very confident, um, you know, in, you know, my, my clinical judgment, but there's always going to be that something that you just wonder, and instead of, you know, reaching out to somebody at another facility and whatever, I reach out to the physicians that I work with. So mm-hmm. there's always that camaraderie that's there. So as a PA, if you were to decide to want to get that MD title or that DO title, you can apply to programs, but you will still have to go through that program. But your base of knowledge, your, your clinical experience mm-hmm. is going to make you rise to the top of your class. That much I can tell you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shane, for sharing everything you shared today. It was so inspiring, and I'm sure a lot of people will feel the same. Thank you. Now, before we get to Sherryar, we're excited to announce the details about the Emojia Academy Winter 2019 will be released shortly. You can check out the Emojia Games website to find out more. Um, Sherryar, hello. How are you? Hey, hello. Assalamualaikum. How are you? Alaikum salam. I'm doing well. Great. So Shane sort of touched a bit about your job. She hinted a bit about it, which I think is exciting now to talk about. Um, Can you tell us your official title and what goes into doing your job? So the official title is kind of very general. Uh, You 
call us a technology consultant, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of covers a lot of um, different sides of uh, technology. When, when a lot of people uh, hear technology, they might think about, uh, you know, just IT or computers uh, mm-hmm. per se. But um, honestly, it is a very, very, very uh, wide uh, spectrum. And you've, you've got a lot of different types of uh, branches in there that are completely off from what a normal IT would be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, um, uh, like she mentioned as well, uh, Shaheen also mentioned, you know, that human connection not being <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. But uh, to be honest, I, I mean, I, I see it in a, in a very um, uh, different point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. As in, if you look at it uh, today in technology, you know, you have so many advanced AI APIs working together with healthcare sector. Um, and um, for example, data coming in and putting into uh, the artificial intelligence systems such as Watson. Um, not sure if you've heard of that before. It's one of the most powerful computers and it's also a, uh, uh, runs the uh, AI, whatever you need to run it for, mm-hmm. um, whatever algorithm basically you're pulling off. Uh, they did the, those tests a while back in which uh, what Watson did was it gave out results of past doctors, whatever they had, you know, um, given the treatment. And it kind of matched like 99% that every doctor gave the right uh, treatment, so which was mm-hmm. great. Everything was great. But it also gave out uh, some other information that if the doctor had done this, it could have, you know, led towards not that patient having maybe whatever the patient could have had mm-hmm. uh, later. So it, it kind of that technology, you know, integrates in uh, with that kind of uh, different moving parts. You mm-hmm. get a new um, side of IT, which is mm-hmm. Uh, basically in being integrated in every single aspect of our life. Uh, it, it, it's also, uh, if you look at global warming today, yeah. um, you, you can do so much uh, just uh, with the technology, you know, to, to, to start automating stuff, to start mm-hmm. um, utilizing it in, in the manner that it controls uh, the unnecessities uh, of our life. For example, a very simple thing is automating our house lights, you know, to turn off mm-hmm. when they don't need to or when you walk into a room. Yeah. On. So very, very simple stuff, but um, those are there. Simple so, stuff that creates a difference. Yes, exactly. It's just, it's just really, really small stuff. And if we mm-hmm. just think about it, it, it really makes a huge difference. It's a joint effort. It's a, it's a technology and human effort. Mm-hmm. Now, your role um, as a consultant, do you yeah. have a specific thing you do or how does um, it work? It, it's not specific. Mm-hmm. So we have different talent communities. Um, that's how we call it in our company. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be called that. But um, uh, so what happens is like, for example, in our, we got talent communities. I'm in the infrastructure talent community right now. And uh, in, in the infrastructure talent community, we have then more subsections uh, such as you have cloud, you got security, mm-hmm. and then in the, in the general infrastructure itself. So infrastructure is very much like uh, how a city is built. So you got civil engineers, which are, you know, they, which come up with the plan on how your highways are going to be laid out or how the roadworks are going to be and how the flow is going to work. So it's very much like that in uh, technology as well. When you're building a company or when you're building a solution, uh, let, let it be for, let's say, healthcare or for any oil and gas, both of them would have different kind of um, requirements, different kind of compliances and regulations to follow. So very much like a, diff- a city might have different uh, road rules. You know, if you go to London, they drive on the right, uh, uh, the right-hand side or, or the left-hand side, I'm sorry. And <laughs> over here, you drive on the right-hand side. So those are the different kind of uh, sets of rules that you follow. So in infrastructure as well, you got those kind of rules that you, a company might have that mm-hmm. are, completely, you know, completely uh, independent. For example, uh, in uh, healthcare, you have HIPAA uh, in technology, which is a very, very simple um, um, thing if you read it uh, and try to implement it. But there, there's a lot of moving parts in the technology that's actually being used to secure it. So those things are designed by us. And now I'm talking just about general infrastructure. That's 
and the reason why I said uh, it's subdivided into like cloud and security mm -hmm. is because those are the kind of things that we have a say in as in, hey, we need this level of security for this um, thing. And those are defined by, uh, let's say, compliances such as HIPAA or PCI DSS, which is used for credit cards. And nowadays, you know how um, how the privacy thing is so hyped up right now. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the security side would kind of cover uh, those elements. And the third thing in, in the picture, the cloud, mm -hmm. uh, everything is pretty much on the cloud, not the literal cloud, but the cloud uh, that you don't really see. It's it's there, it's being managed by another third company, so your data is out there, it's uh, sitting somewhere, uh, it's replicated amongst literally geographical locations, like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it could be in Europe, in USA, and so on and so on, but how is it being protected? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how's your, your medical records being protected? How's um, your, history, your um, credit history, and so on uh, being protected. So those are uh, the things that come. Um, I, 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 now, my projects are not directly, you know, I don't sit and say, hey, we're going to secure the uh, medical information for this person mm -hmm. or for this uh, category. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's very much like you are working uh, for a, um, uh, from, for a top organization and then everything is umbrella down to uh, the subset organizations. So if I'm mm -hmm. working for um, an energy company, uh, the energy company may have subdivisions. They also have, of course, you know, their, their own employee informations and so on. So every single tiniest detail is extremely uh, important to secure. Uh, so would that energy company come to you and ask you for advice? So what they do is they, 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 they kind of ask the primary company for advice, mm -hmm. uh, which would be the company that I currently work for, let's say Avanad. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they have different, you know, <clears throat> clientele's different way of communicating. So they kind of just give a hint that this is something they're, you know, interested in. And that kind of becomes an opportunity for the company and in which they may send in consultants uh, who are subject matter experts for that specific field. Mm -hmm. So I may come in at that time or I may not come in at that time, depending on my mm -hmm. uh, past experience, my past okay. skill. Uh, if I've had, you know, that kind of project within the company itself, then they might send me to it how successful my last one was. But a lot of times we just get, um, it could be a role that's very much support related. Um, and when I say support, uh, related, it's, it's kind of, you know, day-to-day -day activities. Uh, for example, somebody's um, uh, phone is not authenticating for the two-factor authentication mm -hmm. uh, system. Not, not that the password is not working or something like that. The two-factor is not working or, and stuff like that, figuring out things. Those are like the really tiny stuff, you know, you okay. may fall into that kind of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. just, to, just to have you in there. You know, when you when you step into the real world, um, a lot of the stuff you have to put your uh, hands in are going to be like tiny stuff, just so that you, you the your your presence being there is justified. You know, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of time your um, core project kind of evolves through that your support as well. So, so if mm -hmm. I start in a new company, a new project at a new client. Um, and I totally don't know their infrastructure, right? I never built it. I don't really know much about it. I could get documentations about it and start reading it, but I, I would still not know much about it until I'm, I'm like involved in it. I'm trying to see how their operations work. I'm going to see how their culture is, how, you know, uh, they interact with each other, what kind of uh, decision-making process they have? Is it coming up from uh, the top or is it like a uh, joint team, um, a yes, no vote and okay. so on. Yeah. Um, so this job that you're in, is it fairly new? So yes. So uh, I joined this company about a month back. Mm -hmm. And um, Prior to this, I was working uh, in an MSP, which uh, stands for a managed service provider. Okay. These, these are um, 
these are, I won't say small companies, they're pretty big, but what they do is a little different from what other technology companies do, mm -hmm. such as the one I'm in right now, or let's say Microsoft or Amazon and so on. So Microsoft and Amazon are like, uh, they're the big tech companies, as in the, they, mm -hmm. they, they have their own data centers, they have their own um, massive amount of uh, resources, human resources available, and so on. So uh, the companies like uh, the one I'm on in right now, Avanade, is more on the functional or operational uh, side of implementations and, you know, consulting to improve your process or improve your uh, work environment and so on. And when the MSP part, uh, the MSP type companies are the companies that are a smaller scale from what Amazon and Microsoft do. So okay. they have their own uh, data centers. They have their own uh, infrastructure built. They could literally have be your complete IT department if they need to be for companies such as 500 employee company or a thousand mm -hmm. uh, employee company. They can take over the whole uh, IT aspect of it. They may be able to provide you uh, your whole email system, your whole application system, and then later on even, you know, work with you to kind of build your own application system mm -hmm. to make your processes better and so on. It, it, that, those type of companies, you, you get more hands-on experience on the technical elements though. So when I was working in that, I had a lot of hands-on on the uh, technical side of things. I would be going to the data center a lot just to, mm -hmm. um, see how the physical servers are doing, uh, how the hard drives are in there. But uh, being on uh, what I'm doing right now, we don't necessarily go to the back end of things, the physical back end of things. Okay. It's mostly uh, on the front side that we're taking care. It could be through scripts, through uh, some partial codings and configurations and stuff like that. Uh, is, is this what you were interested in when you were in school? So that's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, been, I've been interested in this uh, field for since I was a kid. And uh, I mentioned this before, <laughs> not in, on this, but uh, like I said, I, I, I had the keyboard imprinted in me when I was born. <laughs> I feel like that. And um, <laughs> going forward, I, I just never knew when I learned how, you know, the keyboards laid out. I just think I was just born with it. But, um, and then working on different uh, stuff, like I literally started as a programmer. Uh, I, right out of college, I was just doing um, programming in C Sharp. Mm -hmm. um, I got out of that because I could not go to sleep. Um, I, I would dream of solutions in, in my dreams. Like I would have my laptop right beside my pillow and um, I would wake up and type the stuff in and see if it works. And a lot of time it did. Uh, <laughs> so you're obsessed. <laughs> yes, that, that was an obsession, but it, it, it wasn't something that I liked. You know, the, the great thing mm -hmm. she said, it, it, um, Shaheen said was to find your passion. And I truly believe in that. You really have to find your passion. You know, I found my passion in like, as in which direction I'm supposed to take a part, mm -hmm. part of it. But uh, I, th along this whole journey, I found that every few years I would learn something new about it. And then another new, uh, new wider field opens. You know, I got mm -hmm. more options to take. And I think that kind of helps out because I already had a direction which I wanted to take. Now mm -hmm. I'm taking those small, small routes, you know, to granularly, granularly get to where I want to be, okay. you know, in that field. Because yeah. it's a very, very, very wide field. People don't realize it, but technology is huge. There, and it keeps opening up more. And the reason being is we don't have any uh, clear cut set instructions or there is no uh, set in stone um, fields in technology. They mm -hmm. are very, very, very diverse. Uh, you can come up with your name on something however you want. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, literally uh, you can, it will be completely legitimate. Mm -hmm. So uh, keeping that in mind, yeah. So, uh, and going up, you know, from that mentality, uh, the uh, programming 
part, I then moved on towards, uh, you know, a more hardware side mm-hmm. of things on computers and then worked my way up going as a systems and networks administration and mm-hmm. then being a engineer and then a principal engineer and now uh, as a consultant. What are the degree requirements for the position that you're in right now, if there are any? So for, for position like this, I would say bachelor's would be, you know, ideal because mm-hmm. you you get a uh, great understanding of how uh, to, you know, perform your duties when it comes to business side of things, you know, it, it really helps out. You And a lot of companies, they do require you to have bachelor's, but uh, with that being said, if you want to get into the um, technology things um, or, or you want to step into it, there is no hardcore requirement. There is no, um, you don't need any um, bachelor's degree or you don't need any diploma. You can do sets of courses to get yourself into this. Of course, I won't recommend you doing that. Uh, I would definitely say go to college, you know, get all the skills that you need, mm-hmm. but uh, don't don't, you know, you don't need to be afraid of it. Uh, you just need to kind of, um, uh, even a diploma in, uh, let's say programming or any technical uh, course that's available would be extremely helpful, even if it's not relevant to you at all. Okay. And what did you study in school? So initially, uh, back in Pakistan, I did a diploma in uh, um, information and systems management. Mm-hmm. which gave me an exposure to programming languages such as uh, C-sharp, um, .NET, and stuff like that. It was a really mm-hmm. basic stuff. And moving on, I did my bachelor's in uh, network, communi- network computing um, in Malaysia. It, my degree is actually from Coventry University, UK. They had a program in Malaysia and the college that I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, over there. So that was my bachelor's in uh, network com- communication. I also did a diploma in computer engineering, which is almost equal to the associates you have over here. That that was also from Malaysia. Uh, that was really inclined towards a lot of the hardware side of the uh, computer mm-hmm. computers, like programming and then IC, you know, programming processors and how they work and so on which you'll hardly ever use in nowadays unless you want to become an engineer, like a proper electrical, electronical engineer mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Uh, do you still feel like you use the skill set that you used when you were um, working and coding now in your current job? Yes, it's very important. See, uh, the great thing about coding is it not only gives you uh, this skill set to work on just codes. It kind of builds this thought process of yours. Of a, It's called a sequential thought process. Mm-hmm. So when you're coding, you know that the code is going to run from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And you have a different sets of logic that you've built. And so it really is, I think it's a, it's a great mental exercise for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of... Uh, it creates this uh, great skill set for your mind in terms of, you know, um, uh, learning logics. Mm -hmm. So you, so you, you'll be good in coming out with solutions to uh, different issues that you might have. And you can trains you to problem solve. Exactly. Problem solving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the, that's the right word. Problem solving. Mm -hmm. So, and you can use that in, in uh, not just coding, like I said, it could be in your real world. And so people Mm -hmm. don't realize like your mind is, is a, is a computer. It's basically just computing. So when you, you know, give it some stuff to compute. It's an exercise for it. It, mm-hmm. it, it will, uh, it'll not go to waste. It will always be useful in the future. What's the most valuable experience you've learned on the job? Uh, the most valuable uh, would be, I learned, I think the best thing that I learned is empathy from my job <laughs> <laughs> in, in a very great um, length, I think. I think mm-hmm. um, I, I, definitely I think everybody should have that, you know, but um, from the job, I think I learned it in a very, very uh, uh, large amount, especially mm-hmm. thanks to my uh, one of my ex bosses who kind of uh, 
who, who gave me this uh, sentence that kind of stuck to me and really uh, changed the way that I see technology nowadays. And, mm -hmm. and us uh, techies uh, are very uh, not one-minded, but it, it, it's kind of like uh, you're either a techie or you're a functional person. It's very hard to, you know, cross platforms. Mm -hmm. You need a third person in the middle to translate the techie to the normal person and then the normal mm. person to the techie. I'm saying the normal person, even the techies are normal, but what I mean <laughs> is like the, the general uh, crowd you know mm -hmm. That's how, uh, uh, a lot of them they they see themselves as completely different as mm -hmm. they think differently they uh, have a very different approach to things but you know when you um, look at everything in the sense that uh, that something may be wrong with you rather than the world mm -hmm. you know then you start looking at things from a different perspective there may there may be nothing wrong with you uh, you know, it, you're absolutely fine. But just for the sake of, you know, trying to understand the other stuff mm -hmm. uh, from the other side, just imagine that there's something wrong with you, you know, and then mm -hmm. you, will, you will come to this, um, to this state of yourself that wants to kind of understand, like, uh, what is wrong with me? And why am I not understanding this other person's uh, um, issue? Mm -hmm. And I think every single uh, company nowadays or every single product that's coming out or even less, for example, Apple and Steve Jobs was uh, doing his thing. It's all about the customer. Like, what do they need? What, what, what is everybody looking for? Right. Um, it, it's that gap that everybody's trying to search. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever we do in our day-to-day -day life, uh, what is the thing that kind of gets us delayed or gets us stuck somewhere? And we, we, we want to eliminate that so we can, you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what you're basically saying is that it's a mistake that texts will, let's say, based on what you're explaining, mm -hmm. uh, blame the users for the problems that are going on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill me, please. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of them, uh, when I speak to, um, I've been a head of IT, uh, mm -hmm. and I've uh, heard my co-workers complain a lot that, hey, this person's saying his numbers are not working. And, you know, mm -hmm. you see that the numlock is turned off. You know, it's such a, a tiny mm -hmm. thing, right? But then again, it could, it could have been anything. It could have been uh, the keyboard's bad or stuff mm -hmm. like that. Again, I'm, I'm talking about this is desktop support. Like, mm -hmm. this is like when you start in IT. Like, yeah. you know, and they'll be complaining that stuff. Uh, so, Customer experience comes from empathy. When you mm -hmm. uh, kind of know what the ne other the user is experiencing, and you just give your best to it, to you know, because that's your job, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you're hired. That's that's pretty much what you need to do. Um, you're not just there to uh, uh, just fix things. You're there to give support the other person. That's what they're mm -hmm. called support departments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so since this is such an open field right now, uh, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. What do you, where do you feel the field is uh, moving towards? Um, I think a lot of uh, the most important thing uh, today would be the security um, mm -hmm. in technology. And th that does not just mean that the uh, the technology people or the uh, technology really needs to up their security. It's also mm -hmm. the human factor involved. Uh, our day-to-day -day, uh, activities need to change. The way we, you know, uh, go to do something, uh, the way how doctors today work and how they used to work and how they're to going to work. The way we, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it, it's it's some people like doctors never had iPads before in their hands, you know, mm -hmm. and now we're giving them this. So how does the security come into place? Where is mm -hmm. it in place? You know, those kind of moving parts are some stuff that are there. And then uh, if you look at um, 
parenting i think i think that's one of the one of really really important things you know is parenting we don't have much uh, research uh, that long research coming uh, and explaining how technology is going to affect kids today mm-hmm. you know you 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 i've seen parents that give them uh, give kids uh, the whatever um, entertainment unit they have and then they'll be on it for hours and hours maybe forever mm-hmm. you know never get back but without realizing the impact but yeah without realizing mm-hmm. the impact i mean i can say hey uh, this is not good for your kid but I go, who are you to say right mm-hmm. <laughs> because because there's no research to it there there is no um, back data that would support mm-hmm. what i'm saying right now mm-hmm. but but me being in this feel me being in this uh you know side of things i i've already seen a lot of things that others may not have seen mm-hmm. uh, or uh, people in my field you know so th- th- those are the kind of things that uh, come to my mind uh, such as mm-hmm. parenting like if i ever have kids i i am very up to date on how to be uh, preparing the technology for the next mm-hmm. generation for my at least my kids uh, you know mm-hmm. and you you ha- you have all of the stuff available for example limiting your screens to different mm-hmm. timers and uh you know uh, c- uh content filters and on and on and stuff like that mm-hmm. what would you advise uh someone who's going into your industry to do beforehand in preparation so first uh, you have to really see if uh that is your passion mm-hmm. <laughs> if possible uh, if it's not if you're trying to you know get into technology or you're curious in you know that maybe this is your thing mm-hmm. you might want to start with uh going and watching a few videos of training there are okay. two websites one of uh, the first one um, I'm going to tell them um from preference so mm-hmm. number one there's this website called cbtnuggets.com mm-hmm. which cbt stands for computer um, based training cbtnuggets.com mm-hmm. so this is a great website to uh, they have tons of material for pretty much anything you want to learn in technology in infrastructure security and stuff like that uh, even programming languages python c sharp Mm-hmm. and so on and i would definitely recommend cbt nuggets and not any other website a uh, reason being is that a lot of those website they contain uh, instructors that are that are just generally someone who may have watched uh, the training for like an hour and then created their own videos but mm-hmm. these are from professional skilled uh, trainees um and they they will definitely put you on the right track when you want to learn that kind of stuff there's the, the other website is called linda.com l y n d a.com they have great stuff for designers for example you want to go into um you know graphic designing or website building mm-hmm. and i think they've got a lot of more stuff in there i just mm-hmm. haven't visited them uh, linda so i'm not up to date on what else they have but these two are one of the oldest uh, sites for training they're not even that expensive for example cbd nuggets is only 99 a month and you get uh, access to everything um all of their material in that mm-hmm. amount uh, that's a great way to start apart from that i would suggest uh, going uh, to uh, uh, whatever conferences you could go to there are a lot of conferences around the world which are completely free to visit so if anything's happening around you no even if it's not related to you or you know you don't really get it just just visit it and just see you know what's out there uh, that also helps a lot mm-hmm. um apart from that uh read a lot of forums blogs um and follow the right people on let's say twitter and yeah. what they have got to say uh those things definitely help out a lot so just to be well informed in what the career entails before getting into it right i i mean you, you don't even have to go to that greater you know um you don't have to go all the way there you mm-hmm. can start with just watching videos and you know that might spark that passion you know th- that mm-hmm. spark really needs to come in yeah and you know today i i noticed uh, i i have a lot of friends that are really really 
um, they're like in their early 20s. And um, what I noticed is there, a lot of people, they're just scared of technology, as in mm-hmm. whenever that comes up, they think about programming and they're like, oh my God, no, uh, you know, <laughs> that's just uh, not, that's not, I won't be able to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's too hard. It's really isn't. It's, it is extremely easy as soon as it clicks to you. And the reason why everybody thinks it's so hard is because nobody has really tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed they don't have uh, these programs just, uh, you know, in schools, just uh, as a, a compulsory programs. Mm-hmm. Like back in, in home in Pakistan, uh, we have computer languages that we have to do in maybe in seventh grade or in sixth mm-hmm. grade and so on. We just have to do them. So we're already aware of them, how codings work, how programming yeah. languages work. And then we go out. But a lot of kids, they nowadays, they're not exposed, they, they're to, not, they're not exposed mm-hmm. to it. So when they're not exposed to it, they just think it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So they don't, just don't go even into it. So definitely check, you know, check those things out. Uh, they, well, it, I, I'm telling you, once you start doing programming, it's fun because, you know, when you when you tell the computer to do something and it does it, you, you, you it just feels good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really a cool thing once you start experiencing it. So try it, you know, go in uh, any language. Python is a great language mm-hmm. to start with. It's everybody's on it these days. And a lot of uh, devices, they support uh, that platform. Um, yeah. Um. Thank you so much for sharing your career with us. No problem. And thanks for having me here. Of course. It was our pleasure. Uh, today's show was brought to you by Hype Athletics. On other fronts, Umoja Outreach Foundation will be releasing information about the Umoja Games 2019 this weekend. So stay tuned for that. If you want to reach out to the speakers from today's show or any of our previous shows to ask these professionals any questions you may have, please visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups, or just visit the Mew Mentor website and hit the link for online platform. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. for another panel of speakers and more stories. Thank you for listening to our panel today on Facebook Live.